Let's go into chapter 1. Matthew 1, 1 to 25, one of the shorter chapters of the book, and one which, for some people, has some of the least interesting information in the book. I preached a series uh, over the course of three years where on one Advent Sunday each, Advent Wednesday each year, um, I preached a portion of this genealogy. All right. Well, let's go into it here. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. So Matthew begins a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Um, the name Jesus means what? Savior. Savior. Or literally, the Lord, that is Jehovah, saves. Yeah. Um, Christ means what? Anointed one. Christ is Greek. Um, in Hebrew, the same word would be Messiah. Okay. What is his middle name? Or initial? Why do I add? Not, not H, exactly. Um, on pyramids, you sometimes see J or I, H, C. And uh, I had a roommate once, in, 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 this is not a, a, a member of our synod, um, not at one of our synod schools, but I had a roommate once, his name was Alec, who constantly thought that H stood for Jesus H. Christ. Um, and uh, and, and uh, uh, I, I, he, I, I had to look it up in the, day, the days before the internet, because I didn't have Greek yet, um, and I had to tell him, no, that's the name of Jesus. That H is the Greek letter Ada. That's the vowel in Jesus' name. Jesus. That's, that's what that is. Um, so anyway, that's, that's where that comes from. Um, uh, Christ or Messiah has its origins in the Old Testament. So you have, I, I only have four of these, but there are more. Uh, Psalm 2.2. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, his Messiah. Uh, what's significant about Psalm 2? Do you, do you know this about the Psalms? We're going to learn it after we do Matthew because we're going to go through the Psalms. Psalm 1 is an introduction to all of the Psalms. This is the righteous man. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk here and sit here and do this and that. Psalm 2 is an introduction to Christ. That's the first two psalms. And then Psalm 3 is a wake-up psalm, and Psalm 4 is a night-night psalm. That's how they start. Okay? Uh, but uh, those, those are the first four psalms. So, and then the last psalm, the very last psalm, is, and I, I remember preaching on that for one of our outdoor services early in my time in New Elm. It has all those musical instruments, the, the, the trumpet and the tamp. I played all the instruments uh, down at the park and talked about how they were used. So it's really a march through the whole life of the believer because some of them are funeral things and some of them are wedding things and some of them are festival things and whatnot. So anyway, that's the end of the Psalms. This one, a reminder of, of, of the anointed one. And then Isaiah 61 not the only Isaiah passage about the Messiah, but the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, Messiahed me, to preach good news to the poor. The Lord has Messiahed me to preach what? Good news. 
which is the gospel. Yeah, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what the gospel does. To proclaim freedom for the captives. That's what the gospel does. It releases us from the bondage to the law and release from darkness for the prisoners. So the gospel also enlightens us and so forth. Calls, gathers, enlightens us in the same manner in which he calls, gathers, enlightens the whole Christian church on earth. Luther goes on. Then we have a couple from Daniel. Daniel says, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Confused about the numbers? Oh, so am I. Let's just go on. Okay. Daniel 9.26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. When was the anointed one cut off? Crucifixion. Crucifixion. Yeah. In what way did he have nothing? He was dead. Yeah. The people of the ruler who will come to destroy the city and the sanctuary, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. Our ushers asked me last night, what do you think about this war pastor in the end of the world? I, uh, my response was, I don't think so much about the wars, I think about the baptisms. Because we're told that the end will not come until the full number of believers has come into the kingdom. So I have this habit when I do baptisms of looking at the glass windows <laughs> to see if it's getting brighter out. You know, just like, not yet. Because that's, that's what it's going to be. Is it's, I'm, 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 I'm convinced it's one of us is going to do a baptism and that, that, that'll be it. So... Someday, little Becky's going to have water on her head, and that'll be the end of the world, and that'll be wonderful. So, yeah. I've already talked about these things. The Lord saves, the anointed one, Christos, Messiah. Let's, uh, let's get to the genealogy and then talk about the Christmas story. So Abraham, which Abraham? The Abraham, right? Yeah, the Abraham was the father of Isaac. Is that clear enough? And for every Jew who ever lived, yeah, I'm with you, right? Abraham, Isaac, Isaac was the father of, you tell me. Jacob, Jacob was the father of? Judah. And his brothers. Who are the first three sons of Jacob? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, those deadbeats, right? Reuben slept with his dad's wife. Simeon and Levi, I just taught this uh, story last week to the seventh graders, the, the, the chapter I call Someone's in the Kitchen with Dinah. Simeon and Levi get mad when Dinah gets raped by Shechem, one of the local Chaivites. It's fun to get the kids to say Chaivite. And they insist that all of the Chaivites have to get circumcised. And while they were, Moses writes, while they were still in their pain... Then, and by the way, does Moses know that? Yeah, Moses knows about the pain of circumcision too. And while they're still in their pain, Simeon and Levi run all the way through the city and kill every Shechemite. And they're sons of blood. And, and Jacob even says, you've caused me to be a stench among the Canaanites. 
So they're all off of the list. Who's number four in the, in the line in, in the sons of Jacob? Judah. What, was he any great shakes either? No, not really. Okay. And for one thing, Judah's the father of Perez and Zerah, not by his wife who had died, but by his son's widow. Yeah, whoops. Okay, mother was Tamar. All right, then Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. And now we get to some pretty important individuals because Ram was the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab was the father of Nashan. Why are those two guys important, Aminadab and Nashan? They're in the Exodus story. These guys, when the, when, the, when the Israelites have the leaders of the tribe come with sacrifices, these two guys' names show up, one in one generation and one in the next generation. So in the Exodus story. Then Nashan is the father of Salmon. Salmon evidently lives through the, the uh, uh, Nashan rather, is alive through the time, early time of, the, of, of Joshua and Salmon through the early part of the Judges. Don't know how long he lived, or if we skip a generation or two here, but Salmon is finally the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So Boaz's mother, who, who is that Rahab? She's the madam, thank you, the madam from Jericho. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but then Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth, yeah. Um, I, I personally wonder if the book of Ruth was written primarily because David wanted to prove that he was a true Israelite. Because a finger could have been pointed at David. You've you got Moabite ancestry. Are you fully an Israelite? But it's four generations down to David. There, that's, that's a very careful thing. Go ahead. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not only are, 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 is it showing that God loves all of us screw-ups, but how many of them are in the line of the Savior? You know, murderer, prostitute, this, that, you know. And, oh, come on. Well, Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah, that's a very roundabout way of saying that Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. Which son? Do you, do you remember this from Chronicles? How far down the list is Solomon on, in the list of Bathsheba's children by David? Yeah, he's down toward the bottom. I think he's fourth or fifth. So he's not the, not the oldest. Um, but it seems like he's the most... Suitable? Something like that. Um, then Solomon is the father of Rehoboam. And now we're into basically Second Chronicles and the list of uh, bad, worse, okay, bad, worse, okay, bad, worse kings. So uh, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, you might remember, was a pretty good king. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, not a very good king, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. Whose lifetime, are, is this in your head? 
when we get to Uzziah, whose lifetime are we in now? Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, son of Amoz, and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is only one Jehoshaphat in the Bible. Okay. Yep, same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uzziah. Oh, by the way, the father of? What was it in the King James? Became the father of, or was the father of? The verb? Begat. begat. Yeah, begat. Um, begat can be father, can be grandfather, can be ancestor, became the ancestor. He's a descendant of? That's really what you, if you can uh, translate that one verb and you've learned your Greek alphabet, you can just about translate this entire genealogy by just figuring out the names and the letters. Well, I've, a couple of times I've taught a second career guy Greek in the summertime because he wants to learn before he gets to class. And you shouldn't do that, but you know, that sometimes they twist my arm. And so I teach him the alphabet and then I teach him kaya genata so they know um, that, that it became the father of, and then they can just read it, and they, they get confident fast. You can start to read it off the page because it's all the same verb over and over and over again, and then it's just names, right? So kind of a cool way to learn. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, or Jehoiakim, and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian exile. So of all of those late kings of Judah, Jehoiakim, who's on the throne, do you remember this? He's on the throne for three months. He's the one who's in the line of the Savior. And he wasn't a, a, a great guy, but, but he's the one in the line of the Savior. After the Babylonian exile, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. We did a study last week. Some of you weren't able to be here. I understand about the weather, but these two guys are in the book of Haggai because they're, they're, that's the coming back from the exile. Um, so in the line of the Savior. Zerubbabel was, well, what was Zerubbabel? Well, I mean, I mean the title. He's the governor. They, he, could, he was in the line of the king and they made him governor, the, the highest thing that they could make him without getting in trouble from the king of Persia. So he's in, in line to, the, to be king, but they call him governor. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, and then Azor, Zadok, Achim, Eliud, and then Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, from whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Who is Jesus' grandfather? Jacob. Do you know the other grandfather in Luke His name is Haley, H-E-L-I, Haley. 
So we have the names of Jesus' grandfathers in Scripture also because of these genealogies, Haley and Jacob. I don't know if Grandpa Jacob was still around. Did Jesus know him? You know? Um, um, or, or, or Grandpa Haley? Yes. In the genealogy in Luke. Yeah. Probably Mary's genealogy. Yeah. Legally, this is the most important document about Christ to the Jews. Because legally, this is his ancestry because Joseph was the head of the family. Luke, a physician, is more concerned, I think, about actual blood lineage and does what was very rare in ancient times. He, he appears to give us the mom's side. And also, Luke... Um, and notice, notice where did where did Matthew start? Abraham. Abraham. So and any Jew would say, yeah, that's that's enough. You can start with Abraham. That's Luke doesn't go back to Abraham. Who does Luke go back to? No, 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 no. Adam. Luke traces the ancestry of Jesus all the way back to Adam. Um, because it goes backwards. In, in in Matthew, it comes down, and Luke, it goes up. Right? So it, it goes all the way back to Adam um, because Luke is writing to Gentiles. The Gentiles aren't going aren't gonna, aren't gonna to care at all about, about uh, Abraham, but to go back to, to, go back to, uh, to Adam is the key. Let's leave questions about the other genealogy for a class on Luke, okay? Because we're going to get into all kinds of rabbit holes if we do that. Let's, let's continue on here. So altogether, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the Babylonian exiles, or exile rather, to Christ. And that's the way that Matthew has written it out, and that's, that's, that's delightful. What's the significance of the number 14 symbolically? It's double of seven. Seven is the number of holiness. Holiness. I want to be careful with that word because 10 is the number of completeness and 7 is the number of holiness. So doubled holiness is what 14 gets you for what it's worth. And 3 is significant because it's a divine number. Now, um, getting to the, the account of the, of the Christmas story um, in Matthew, which remember is the Joseph point of view Stories. We're not going to have anything about the prophecies to, from Zechariah and to Mary and Elizabeth and all. That's all in Luke, in Luke 1. Here we're in, on the Joseph side of things. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. That, that sentence still gives me a thrill of terror because uh, Sue Schoen's dad was my first Greek professor, Cyril Spouty. And we were just beginning to learn Greek, and it was the it was the day before Christmas break, 1991. So we had had how many weeks would that be? Um, nine plus six, so 15 weeks of Greek or something like that. And and we're and we're learning. By the way, in those days we learned Greek to be able to translate Xenophon and Herodotus. That's what your first two years of Greek were all about. And then you got to New Testament Greek. Later, we were learning classical Greek. 
Professor Spouty decides to throw us a bone, I guess, on the day before Christmas break and lays down a photocopy of Matthew 1, 18 and following and says, you can use whatever dictionary you want, but here you go, boys. And he gives us the Matthew Christmas story. Because which one had we all memorized as children? Luke. Yeah, we all knew Luke too by heart. Yeah, that's not fair to translate that. So he gives us, and so you're going and you're like, oh, this is how the Genesis birth of Jesus Christ happened, took place. And I realized this is the Matthew account of the birth of Jesus. And, I, and, it was, and it's, it's actually pretty hard Greek for a beginner. So I don't know if any of us finished, but we worked on that all class period. All right. His mother, Mary, significant, by the way, that we're using words like mother. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. His mother, Mary, was pledged in marriage to Joseph. Before they came together, she was, bound to be, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So what do we call their union at this point? They are engaged, kind of betrothed, whatever the word would have been used that they would have used. They're, they're not quite married, but they are beyond, you know, the diamond ring stage. But they're not living together yet, okay? And therefore, they're not sleeping together yet. And now Joseph finds out she's pregnant. And how does Matthew tell us this, uh, this played out? Because what could have happened? He could have stoned her to death. He could have stoned her to death. And what does he do? Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, so he decided to divorce her privately or quietly, right? And why? What was he allowing her to go and do? Have the baby and maybe marry whoever is the dad. If you're in love with somebody else and Joseph says, I love you, I, this is how much I love you. If this is what's going on, then I'm just going to let go. That's what Joseph does. Righteous man. Anybody else want to throw out an adjective there? He was a righteous man. He was a kind man. High, man of high integrity. I switched the screens here. Yeah. Um, loving man, a, gentle, a, a gentleman man, right? Uh, all of those things. All right. But as he was considering these things, he wasn't a guy just to act instantly. He pondered things. It's also a sign of wisdom. He, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I wonder if he had to take some ibuprofen for his jaw after that. <laughs> what? Uh, how can this be? Um, an angel of the Lord. Um, can we identify this angel of the Lord? This one? I don't know. Stuart? Billy? I don't know who this angel... But this angel isn't identified for us, so he's somebody else. Um, I, Timmy. I, I like that name. Timmy. 
So uh, what is it that is in Mary? He's true God. He has the divine nature. His father is God the father. And paradoxically, does the father conceive him? No, the Holy Spirit conceives him. How is that possible? God is God. Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Um, this is how it works out. What is the relationship between God the Father and God the Son? Their Father and Son. What is the relationship between God the Holy Spirit and the Son? The Holy Spirit conceived the Son, but the Holy Spirit only emanates from the Son. Are we in a circle yet? Yes. The best picture of the, of the Trinity is a continuously operating circle. Um, he is also true man. Mary carried him and gave birth to him and was, we've been told this already, was his mother. His human nature comes from Mary. Be careful not to read your knowledge of biology into the text of the scriptures. No, I'm not, biology. Just biology. Um, however, can we say, does the scripture appear to say that, and, 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 and forgive me, but just, did the egg come from Mary? Sounds like it to me that the egg came from Mary. In fact, if Christ gets his human nature from Mary, then she did more than carry him. Right? He is the product of her body. Now, I said, however, don't read your knowledge of biology, no matter what century in which you live, don't read your knowledge of biology into the text of the scriptures because this is how, I don't even know how many heresies have jumped up. It begins right here at the incarnation of Christ. How did the egg get fertilized? And now, uh, uh, when people begin to answer that according to how they view science, then we get into problem after problem after problem. One of the earliest errors is actually addressed in the book of Colossians. It's, it's that old. And that was that Christ did not have a, a, an actual human body. Um, when, uh, when, 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 when somebody who is on the edge of our membership passes away and their family meets with me, and I've never seen these people before, about, and I ask them, what, what verse would you like from the Bible? What do they always say? Footprints in the sand. Oh, okay. Where's that in the Bible? But I'll, okay. And, um, and I, I usually tell them, I will find something appropriate. But However, footprints in the sand is the reverse of the ancient heresy of docetism. Because footprints in the sand says that Jesus left footprints, and sometimes I didn't because he was carrying me. The docetists actually said that if you saw Jesus and his disciples walking along the bank of the, of the sea, 
There would only be, a, a, tw- only be 12 sets of footprints because Jesus didn't have an actual body. He only seemed to be. He didn't actually exist. Um, but so let me just bluntly ask in the last minute or so, where'd the sperm come from? I'm going to say it again. Don't read your knowledge of biology into the scriptures. So maybe we didn't need sperm. I don't know. But the, the, the egg from Mary is, the, the, is, is going to be Christ. And uh, we, we have to have a couple more verses very quickly here. I think we have three slides. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. We talked about his name earlier. All this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a doctrinal name for Christ. Who is he? He's God with us. And then when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he was not intimate with her until she gave birth to her firstborn son and he named him Jesus. What does the word until mean? It, 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 it grammatically tells us that they were intimate later. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's why I'm saying don't read our knowledge of biology okay. into the text. It doesn't have to work that way. God is outside of this. Um, I know a couple of you have to go. I'm going to read this. The incarnation through which the person of the God-man came into being consisted in this. The Son of God, which John calls the Logos or the Word, assumed the human nature into the personal communion and united it most firmly, eternally, insolubly to himself and his divine nature, namely, so that in no way are both natures merged into each other or mixed with each other. And then we have a bunch of negatives. Is this going way beyond you? I'm going to keep reading anyway. That two natures are not fused into a new essence. That it's, it's not like it makes something different. It is not a natural union that is based on the course of nature, the way you and I have body and soul. This was done uniquely. It is not an accidental union, which is where some people get the idea of two boards being glued together, um, which you may have learned about in catechism, but may never have had fully explained to you. It's basically Calvinism. Um, it is not a respective or relative union. It's not only a verbal union, as if God said it, so it's so, but we don't know if it was or not. It's not a partial union. It is Christ taking the human into the divine so that there we have what we can say about the one we can say about the other. Who did Christ redeem? All mankind. Who died on the cross? The divine nature or the human nature? Both. Who wept at the grave of Lazarus? Divine or human? Both, yeah. Who got irked when Mary said, they're out of wine, divine or human? Both. Woman, it ain't my time yet. Yeah. Um, So the two natures are united unalterably, inseparably, 
closely. One nature is made equal to the other. The two natures have one person in common. And incidentally, the two natures are not separable. Christ remains fully God and fully human in heaven. You will see Christ in the flesh in heaven. Okay, You will know his eye color, his hair color, the sweet scent of his breath, all of the, the, the perfection of his teeth, whatever you want to say. Okay, um, how, how does he get that good of, of fingernails? You know, you'll just... You'll just Whatever you want to contemplate in heaven, you will see in heaven. That's way past all of our time. That's all we have time for. God bless all of you. Thank you for letting me do this. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.